Hello, and welcome to the Century Podcast. I'm Alexander Elmore, Editor-in-Chief of the University of Colorado Denver's student-run weekly news publication, The Century. On this episode of the podcast, our news editor, Lorraine, talks with staff writer Ben about the 2020 presidential election, the journey to each party's nominee, the candidates we've got now, the general stances on issues by those candidates and parties, as well as how this year is different and similar to 2016. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to receive information about how to register and how to vote. The views and opinions expressed in this episode do not represent the Century newspaper as a whole, but belong solely to the individuals. Now, Lorraine and Ben, take it away. Hello, Century Podcast listeners. My name is Lorraine. I am the news editor here at the CU Denver Century, and I am sitting here with Ben. That's right. Hello. I'm Ben. I'm a staff writer here at the Century. Yes. And we are here to talk politics. The news, baby. The news. The news. The way I see it, there's not very much going on. So what else would we do? Exactly. Exactly. You know, the pandemic, the quarantine, talk about the news all day. Sit around, yell at your parents, have your parents yell at you about the news. Lorraine, I just wanted to get real for a second. Let's get real here. I am, I'm more, I, you know, I'm a young person in college, as are you, and we're, we are two progressive people. I've, I'm, you know, I'm one of those so-called Bernie bros. So for people like us, more progressive-leaning people, I think Biden is a bit of a disappointing candidate. He's claiming to run this historically progressive platform, but, you know, historical context aside, I just don't think he's really up to the challenge of the present moment of, of the environmental, the social, racial equity concerns. I don't think that his policies are ambitious enough to really affect enough change. You know, I, I, I really, I think a lot of people doubt Biden's ability to bring in this change or let alone even fight for any meaningful change. A lot of Democrats counter that idea with, you know, oh, you just want purity politics. You want someone to do the impossible. But I don't think people are asking for a politician to be a superhero. I think they just want people, someone, they just want someone who's dedicated to at least, at least trying, you know? And so this is kind of a disappointing election because Biden doesn't even seem interested in considering these progressive ideas. You know, look at his position on healthcare. Progressives want a candidate to come in and say, hey, we we want single payer, we want Medicare for all. And Biden's going into office already on a compromised position, you know, and the bargaining between Democrats and Republicans haven't even started. I think a lot of progressives would be okay with a candidate like Bernie going in and saying, we want Medicare for all. The Republicans saying, no way, it's never going to happen, and then meeting somewhere in the middle. But if Biden is already in the middle and he comes in and Republicans are like, no way, never going to happen, then, you know, the middle point between Biden and the Republicans is a lot farther right than the middle point between Bernie and the Republicans. So that's really disappointing because, you know, this idea of universal health care is not new and it's not impossible. Many political figures like, you know, AOC have called for it. They do it in Europe for crying out loud, but Biden is just not interested in 
advocating that position and the lack of that sort of his interest in anything what progressives would call meaningful ideas for meaningful change you know admits this pandemic this racial justice revolution and very pressing environmental concerns is it's hard it's tough mhm absolutely absolutely i think a lot of young left leaning voters feel the same way you know additionally a huge topic that has really come into the forefront recently has been the idea of defunding and or abolishing the police right following the murders of Brianna Taylor and George Floyd and hundreds of people who came before them that's really what racial justice activists are calling for in a lot of places and Joe Biden if anything has said he plans to give more funding to law enforcement agencies Trump has claimed that Joe Biden wants to defund the police but Biden has repeatedly and vehemently said he has no plan to do so so even on that front i think a lot of progressive left leaning voters are grappling with this lack of revolutionary change especially in light of the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and the astounding lack of repercussions for the officers involved so the question is why you know why won't biden and you know the democratic establishment the moderate establishment whatever you want to call them why won't they capitulate to any beyond moderate proposals and you know there are really uh two answers i think one is that you know that's just that's just their ideology they just have moderate values and so that's what they advocate for the second is and this is what they have told progressives at least is that they believe or they are of the idea that a majority of Americans have moderate values and that a moderate platform will win them the election and that is the main, that is the democratic focus is winning the election and getting Trump out of office so Biden believes that he has a solid moderate democratic voting block and that he can pull himself over that electoral edge by appealing to moderate republicans who don't like trump's unprofessionalism but could support you know a guy like biden but their their values are cuz as we said earlier trump's platform is standard gop he's just got this crazy you might say unprofessional personality so you know a republican voter who doesn't like that unprofessionalism could vote for Biden because it's it's close enough to what their values are but if it was between someone like Trump and Bernie they would they would maybe tolerate Trump and his his rhetoric for another 4 years rather than go for somebody so so far left what they believe in Mhm yeah and I you know I see the reasoning behind that strategy I think it does present its challenges though you know Trump is a very Trump is a very transparent politician. So getting votes from people who have supported him in the past is going to be difficult. There's really hasn't been any new information that's come out about him that makes people think, you know, you're not the kind of guy I thought you were. We knew just who he was in 
And there's also the issue of a lot of people back in 2016 chose to vote for Trump because they didn't want an establishment Democrat um, as Hillary Clinton was. And so we're seeing that repeat itself again, right? Trump laid his, his cards out on the table in the first election in 2016, saw exactly who he was. And since then he, you know, on top of it, he stayed pretty committed to his policy goals. He hasn't achieved some of the larger things like building the entire border wall, but he's been relatively successful. And I think those losses like the border wall are not something uh, Republicans will fault him for. Yeah, it, we've tried this strategy before. And I think if any Republican didn't realize that Trump had an outrageous personality in 2016, something tells me that they're not going to think he has an outrageous personality this time around. It's just so apparent. It's just so out there. So now we're stuck with Trump and with a candidate remarkably similar to Hillary Clinton in terms of policy. You might you might bring in some sort of ideas about sexism, you know, maybe maybe this time it'll work because it's a white man and not a woman. But either way, you know, I'm nervous. So how did we how did we end up here? Why do we have Biden? Why do we have Biden and his strategy in this election? Why not someone like Bernie? Yeah. Well you know to understand where the election is at now, let's take it back now, y'all. Pre-pandemic, everything was good. We were not quarantined, all of that stuff. So initially, there were 29 Democratic candidates and four Republican candidates. And that's, to clarify, that's in the primary election. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So starting in 2019, that small amount of Republican candidates is quite a contrast to 2016. And there were 18 Republicans running for the nomination. So the race for the Democratic nomination in 2020 featured a vast array of candidates, including Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, two candidates from Colorado, Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper. Early on in the primaries, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont made quite an impression on progressive voters, as he had in 2016. And this cycle, he won several state primaries on Super Tuesday, including Colorado, as we've mentioned. But unfortunately, in the weeks following, his campaign really lost a lot of traction. So he suspended his campaign back in March, and Biden became the presumptive nominee. Since then, most of the former candidates, if not all, including Sanders, Warren, Klobuchar, have actively endorsed Biden for president. And he even chose one of his former campaign rivals, if you will, Kamala Harris, as his vice president. Yeah, and then, you know, in the Republican side of things, Trump ran virtually unopposed, which is pretty standard for a, uh, an incumbent president. Four other Republicans did attempt to run against him, but did not get any traction. They Together, they all pulled only about 5% of the primary vote, and Trump became the presumptive nominee back in March of this year after receiving around 18 million votes, which is the most of any incumbent Republican president in a primary. Unlike in the Democratic primary race, Trump never debated any of his rivals, but I think that does still go to show that he is the loyalty and the growth of his 
supporters. Yeah, he didn't really need to debate anybody or fight against other people like the Democratic Party did in order to secure his voter base. So in fact, two of his quote-unquote rivals for this election cycle, Bill Weld and Joe Walsh, actually went on to endorse Joe Biden's campaign. But in September, President Trump and Vice President Pence officially accepted the Republican nomination. So now, so now here we are with Biden and Trump, and as with any presidential election, there are third-party candidates from, you know, we have Howie Hawkins from the Green Party, and we have Joe Jorgensen from the Libertarian Party, but given the U.S.'s two-party system, you know, nobody ever has given those third-party candidates. It's, it's never happened, and it seems very unlikely that it's going to happen that a third-party candidate will win or garner even widespread national support. Yeah, absolutely. And that is just a fact of the two-party system. You know, in part, for example, Bernie Sanders was running as a Democrat, but his ideals really were more of a third party, right? They were more of this Democratic Socialist Party, not so much Democratic, but he knew that in order to have a remotely successful campaign, he would have to go within the two-party system. And he did win the Colorado presidential primary, which indicates our state swings pretty far left, but it really went downhill after that. And once he did suspend his campaign and Biden became the presumptive nominee, Biden's campaign has really done very little to appeal to those farther left-leaning Bernie bro voters. This has been a pattern, uh, not just presidential election, lots of Senate and more local state level elections as well, in which we see uh, establishment Democratic candidate like Biden running against a more progressive Democratic candidate in a primary, beating out the progressive candidate, sometimes maybe by shaky means, like for example, in the presidential primary, Bernie was picking up a lot of steam right in the initial primary state, tied Pete Buttigieg for the, in the Iowa caucus, and then he went on to win. He won every state up South Carolina, which Biden won. And then come Super Tuesday, and there were still, you know, I, I think it was four, maybe five moderate candidates in the field and Bernie. and. All four of the moderate candidates, except for Biden, dropped out and endorsed Biden. So what happened there is maybe people who were planning to vote for another moderate end up voting for Biden and really kind of pushing him over the edge. And so, so, so you know, a lot of people speculate about was that wider strategy where they sort of conspiring together to win that, to get the a moderate the nomination over Bernie. And, you know, in so the same, a similar sort of thing happened in Colorado. John Hickenlooper running a very quiet Democratic primary, not expecting any friction, any any sort of obstacles to the nomination. And then we had Andrew Romanoff, a progressive candidate, come in from the left and pick up a lot of steam. And as soon as Hickenlooper and the Democrats saw a potential, a real potential threat, millions and millions of dollars got campaign in the couple weeks before the election, millions in TV ads, which, and on top of that, Hickenlooper's already great name recognition, he came in and, I mean, Andrew Romanoff got a somewhat significant portion of the vote, but the election really went to Hickenlooper by by a lot. And so now we have, just like in the presidential election, we have John Hickenlooper, an establishment Democrat, 
similar to Joe Biden, running against Cory Gardner, another GOP candidate who fully supports Trump. And with that, Hickenloopers is not making any appeals to the people who voted for Andrew Romanoff. He's sticking to the moderate values. Kentucky, which Charles Booker ran up, ran on the left against Amy McGrath, the moderate Dem, and you know he picked up a lot of steam. But again, Amy McGrath got a bunch of campaign money to win over, win the uh, primary, and now she's leading the liberal fight against Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know this pattern that we're seeing from the primaries until now. It might be a weakness for Biden's campaign, or at least it'll present challenges for him. Right now, two-thirds of Trump supporters say they support him strongly. Uh, By comparison, fewer than half, so about 46% of Biden's supporters say they strongly support his campaign, according to data from the Pew Research Center presented last month. So this really indicates that Biden is not garnering the same diehard, strong support that Trump has. The far left has had a greater representation and a greater voice in political spaces, right? With these highly visible politicians like Bernie and AOC. So as a result, a lot more people and particularly young people are looking for a presidential platform that offers free healthcare, comprehensive climate change policy, the elimination of income inequity. And thus far, Biden's campaign, as well as a lot of moderate Senate candidates, They have yet to accept such, quote-unquote, radical policies in their respective campaigns. According to data from The Economist, about one-third of voters view Biden as being a very moderate candidate. His campaign does definitely offer much more progressive policies than Trump's, but some voters are likely to feel that it's not enough. Right, that doesn't really matter. So why are Democrats appealing to people more on the right side of the moderate rather than people on the left, considering they're America's left party? Why aren't they they countering the strong far right Trump with an equally strong far left? And the reason is that Democrats believe that though Donald Donald Trump's radical right-wing movement is growing, they still have this idea, they still believe in they still think that there's this 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 group of people who exist uh, that they would call that I call you know the good guy morally sound Republican, but more importantly American. They believe that this kind of person still exists. Uh, that there is a body of fiscally conservative, socially conscious, or at least you know socially on the fence American people that are lost. That they don't have a home with Trump and the far right and they don't have a home with the far left. And the Democrats want to come in and say, hey, you know, you might like hamburgers, I might like hot dogs, but God damn it, we're still blessed Americans at the end of the day. We all have the same fundamental interests. So they think they can win the vote from this supposed population of people and maybe even appeal to the moral judgment of some people on the fringe. And those people will vote for Biden, find a home, and America will have a four to eight year long happy ever after, like when Obama was president. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Trump, on the other hand, you know, he's not doing that. He is not a moderate Republican. He is far right, extremely transparent. He says what he believes, and that's it. Unlike Nixon or Cheney or Bush or even 
moderate Democrats like the Clintons or really any politician, he really doesn't worry about curating a presidential ethos. He doesn't try, or at least really hard, to hide his risque opinions, extreme opinions, past controversies. And like we said earlier, you know, his lies are pretty easily debunked and he just doubles down after that. Yeah, so, you know, he says, what are you going to do? I said it, so what? Yeah, and his, his voter base is still just as strong as it's ever been. Uh, yeah, and according to a poll conducted by CBS YouGov, only 3% of voters are undecided with another 11% saying they probably, quote, probably won't change their minds about which candidate will get their vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like we said, in 2016, you know, Trump won an election against Hillary Clinton, who was a centrist, moderate politician, and her policies were definitely similar to Biden's in this election. And I think at least I and I'm assuming many voters, particularly left-leaning voters, are worried that this pattern will repeat itself again. Yeah, I mean, if anything, Trump's strong base has only grown and only gotten more widespread. His ideology has weaved its way into local and state elections. There's the rise of far-right group QAnon, there's Breitbart, there's Ben Shapiro, countless others, and they're all backing Trump's campaign and Trump's policies and Trump's presidency. Look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a major congressional candidate in Georgia and an open QAnon supporter. So this fringe, you know, GOP platform, but very intense rhetoric personalities, fringe is becoming mainstream. Meanwhile, the Democratic Party shift to the left has been very cautious. Many prominent Democrats have even criticized left-leaning policies and politicians. Just recently, Nancy Pelosi referred to the Green New Deal, uh, which is the climate change policy formulated by Bernie Sanders, AOC, Ed Markey, and a bunch of other progressives. Pelosi referred to it as, quote, the Green Dream or whatever in an interview with Politico, which indicates a disdain towards such progressive policies. And early on in Bernie's campaign in 2020, his former rival, Hillary Clinton, said, quote, nobody likes him. So while Democrats have definitely begun to shift to the left over the last few years, it's been pretty slow and pretty hesitant, which is very obvious by Biden's resistance to implement left-leaning policies. So yeah, strong contrast there between the slow shift to the and the hard, fast shift to the right on Trump's side. Now, Biden's campaign does, however, garner some support from traditional Republicans. So, you know, despite everything we've said, there is evidence that their strategy is working. Several, several prominent Republican figures have chosen to back Biden instead of Trump, including former Ohio Governor John Kasich, who ran against Trump in the 2016 primary, and former Massachusetts Governor William Weld, who ran against Trump in the 2019 primary. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, there is a small body of undecided voters, about 3%, that could definitely make or break this election. Yeah, it always comes down to a very small margin. So for now, each candidate is continuing to promote their campaigns in the effort to win those undecided voters. The next big hurdle for the 2020 election will be the 2020 presidential debates, currently scheduled to begin on September 29th. The day we're recording this is September 28th. Typically, there are three debates between 
presidential candidates per election cycle as well as one debate for each vice presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Ben, you know, we have covered a lot of ground here today. And, and we could cover more. I could go on and on. For sure. For sure. Especially this year, you know, politics are really on everyone's minds. You know, we got a pandemic going on, the movement for Black lives, devastating climate change. And this election really is a key factor in the future of America. And, you know, elections are a great chance for American citizens to let their votes be heard. Hey, Lorraine, you know, you know what I really wish I had is some info about voting here in Colorado. Yeah, well, you know, you are in luck. We have lots of voting info. So before voting, make sure you check your registration status. The last day to register to vote is October 26th, which is also the first day to vote in person in Colorado. In order to register to vote, you must have a valid ID. But if you want to change your registration, you can do that online pretty easy. And if you're a resident of Colorado, you're eligible to vote by mail. Uh, if you choose to vote by mail, make, if you choose to vote by mail, make sure to provide a signature and return your ballot. Uh, ballots must be returned by November 3rd. That is, if you return it on November 3rd, you're going to have to drop it off in a ballot drop-off box. If you want to mail in your ballot, you're going to have to turn that in. You're going to have to mail that in earlier so that it will arrive by November 3rd. If you want your ballot to be counted, which you do, the earlier you submit, the better chance you have that they won't lose your vote or something sketchy like that. And if you choose to vote in person, like we said earlier, the first date of the polls are open is October 26th. You will need to bring a valid ID, but the polls will remain open on Election Day, which is November 3rd. So they'll be open between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. So if you're looking to find your polling location, Information is available on the denver.gov website. Now that's what I call civic engagement. Regardless of candidate, regardless of party standings, make sure your voice is counted. But Ben, I think that's that's really all we have time for today. I think I think that, yeah, we, we got to start getting on a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a bummer, but the great news is that information like this is available in the century every Wednesday. So you can stay up to date on local elections, the presidential race, and campus happenings just by reading The Century every Wednesday. The Century Podcast is executive produced by Tej Bullen, Natasha Sherrod, and Tirza Watts. It is produced by Kennedy Earhart and Alexander Elmore. Episodes are edited and mixed by Kennedy Earhart and are recorded via Discord using a reporter's own equipment. This episode was written and narrated by Lorraine Kelly and Benjamin Neufeld. The Century Podcast is funded in part by the students of the University of Colorado Denver through their student fees. We'd like to give a special thank you to the regents of the University of Colorado, our Chancellor, Dr. Michelle Marks, and the students of the University of Colorado Denver, and to you, our listeners. I'm Alexander Elmore. This has been The Century Podcast. And did you know that while making the 2012 film Lincoln, actor Daniel Day-Lewis asked to be called only by Abraham Lincoln's name, and he would sign his text to his co-star, Sally Field, with Lincoln's first initial. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.